is the day it's going to fail me. But uh, thank you for that, leading us in that great singing, congregation, great uh, Easter singing. Those songs resonate with all of us, I'm sure. I want to add my welcome to each and every one of you on this Easter Sunday. Thank you for coming, especially those who are visiting with us. We want to welcome you. And if you are not in the habit or don't have a church home, we'd love to speak to you about making the Rock Community Church your church home in the future. I also want to thank the persons responsible for the decorations this morning. Thank you for dressing up our worship center. It always adds to the, to the scenery and also to the, the atmosphere here in the worship center, and we're so thankful for that. Before we begin to look at God's word this morning, let, us, uh, let me uh, lead you in a time of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we pause to acknowledge your inescapable presence. You know us better than we know ourselves. We invite you to speak to us through your word. Guide our thoughts. Enable us to focus. Eliminate the distractions of this past week. Calm our troubled hearts. The writer of Hebrews claims that your word is powerful as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. May that describe our, our encounter with your word this morning. Give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and wills that stand ready to obey this inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient and supernaturally preserved self-disclosure of your person, your plans, and your purposes. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. This morning I want us to begin by considering a transformation. Something like you might see in one of those popular makeover reality TV shows. Um, shows like The Biggest Loser or This Old House. Have you seen any of those kinds of shows? The transformation that I want to speak about this morning, though, um, has nothing to do with losing weight or house renovations. It does, however, involve a very clear before and after scenario. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, first of all, to John chapter 13. Jesus and the Twelve have made their way to an upper room in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal together. Jesus has gotten up from the meal and washed each of the disciples' feet in an unprecedented display of love. He drops a bombshell shortly after that. Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Peter asked John to ask Jesus who it was. Who's the one who will betray you? And Jesus' answer is reported beginning at verse 26. That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, 
he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. And now, there were only eleven. Listen as I read from Mark chapter 14. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. And then there were none. But Peter followed at a distance. And even entering the high priest's courtyard, where he was identified on three separate occasions as being one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it on all three occasions. A curse on me if I am lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Deny that you even knew me. Even Peter, who claimed earlier, I will lay down my life for you, failed to stand with Jesus. And so Jesus was abandoned, left to endure the hostility and the humiliation of the cross all alone. Take a moment and ponder that before scenario. Think about it. In his hour of greatest need, his closest companions, they betrayed him, deserted him, and denied him three times. Fifty days later, that same Peter, in the same city of Jerusalem that had crucified Jesus, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And then he continued to preach. And he closed his message with these words. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter continues to press them in verse 38. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, 
Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed that Peter were, what Peter said were baptized and added to their number that day about 3,000 in all. Can you imagine 3,000 people being added to the Rock Community Church in a single day? Unbelievable. In Acts chapter 4, we find another report. This time, Peter and John stand as representatives of the eleven. They were speaking to the people when they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees, the very people who were responsible for Jesus being arrested and crucified. Beginning in verse 2, we read, These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But the people who heard their message believed it. The number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. And then we have this absolutely astounding endorsement from the lips of those very people who were opposing them. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. But beloved, they have been with Jesus for two and a half years when they betrayed him, deserted him, and denied him. So what has changed? Why this transformation? And the transformation is undeniable. Presents a remarkable before and after from men who fled while in the garden, leaving Jesus behind, to men who were prepared to die, proclaiming that, and I'm quoting now, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What a transformation. So how do you explain it? What happened to make that kind of difference. And the weight loss shows, we all know that it requires strict diets and an unbelievably grueling exercise regimen. In house renovations, it, it's an expensive demolition and very thoughtful and creative redesigns. In the lives of these 11, Clearly, a lot has happened in just 50 days. Turn with me to the 16th chapter of John's Gospel. Last week, we studied the first 11 verses of John chapter 16. And Jesus was continuing to prepare his disciples for his imminent departure. His time with them is quickly coming to an end. His arrest, mock trial, 
unlawful conviction, torture, and death were just hours away. Look again at the first part of verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Those were his words to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. I suggested last week that we may want to circle or underline, maybe highlight that word advantage. In the New International Version, the Greek word is translated, it is for your good that I go away. And we identified two advantages. In verses 1 to 4, presented a forewarning. The world was going to prove to be a hostile place for these disciples. It will be a world that will hate them, persecute them, expel them from the synagogue, and even execute them in service to God. In verses 6 to 11, we find the promise of an ally. Following his departure, Jesus would send the helper, an ally, who would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But this helper sent by Jesus following his departure would be more than an ally who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's what we are about to discover this morning. The helper sent by Jesus following his departure would prove to be an advantage to the eleven personally. And not just to the eleven, but for you and I as well. Please, if you're able, stand with me for the reading from God's word. I'll begin reading at verse 12 of John chapter 16. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for we will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Easter offers an advantage. Historically, the son assured his disciples that his departure would be for their advantage. Notice the helper referred to in verse 7 becomes the spirit of truth in verse 13. So not just the spirit, but the spirit of truth. And that's an important qualifier or modifier. What is truth? That's a good question. In fact, that is the question that Pilate, the governor of Judea, asked during the interrogation of Jesus in John chapter 18. The same Pilate who, in a symbolic gesture, washed his hands before handing Jesus over to a hostile crowd that would eventually crucify him. 
It's also interesting to note that Pilate's what is truth question came immediately following Jesus' confession. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus claimed to be the truth incarnate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. And at the very beginning of John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the truth incarnate, the truth dressed in human flesh. But Jesus was departing. Knowing their relationship was going to change significantly, Jesus assured the eleven that the Helper's arrival or the Spirit of Truth's arrival would offer a personal advantage. An advantage that would include three different features or aspects or characteristics. This advantage, the Spirit of Truth, would offer, first of all, would be a timely teacher. Look at verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That reminds me of that movie, A Few Good Men. Remember that one? Jack Nicholson, a military officer, is on the witness stand in a military court. Tom Cruise is the prosecutor. And Cruise is really pressing Jack Nicholson for the truth. And all of a sudden, Jack Nicholson explodes. And what does he say? I see lips moving. You can't handle the truth. I think that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. They can't handle the truth. Maybe it was because of their lack of spiritual maturity. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 wrote, I cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Or perhaps they were saturated after two and a half years hanging around Jesus 24-7. The mind can only absorb what the seat can endure, right? Maybe they were saturated. Or maybe their preconceived conceptions or expectations of the kingdom had left them with selective hearing. Who would be the greatest in the kingdom? Or who will sit in the places of honor on your right and your left hand? Maybe it was their troubled hearts or self-absorbed preoccupations with what will happen to me and my family 
after Jesus departs that closed their minds. None of this catches us by surprise, does it? Because these are the kinds of things that shut us down, cause us to not hear or be not willing to accept new information. And admittedly, there's those times when we just think that we have it all figured out. Thank you very much. We stop listening. But Jesus did not feel the need to force the issue or to bury these disciples with an information dump. Rather, he was prepared to pass the truth baton. Pass the truth baton to the spirit of truth who he knew would prove to be a timely teacher. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23 reads, A man has, a, has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. The New Living Translation translates that same verse with these words. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is, a wonderful, it is wonderful to say the right thing at just the right time. Have you done that? You know what that's like? That's how the spirit of truth would operate. He is a timely teacher. He delivers the right truth at just the right time. And that would be to the disciples' advantage. But notice the first part of verse 13. But when the spirit, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The second feature of this personal advantage for his disciples, the spirit of truth would be a good guide. What would it take to be a good guide? I can recall making appointments to see the guidance counselor during my high school days. He guided me through the university application process and I eventually got accepted, so I guess he did a good job. He also came in handy when I was trying to rearrange my weekly class schedule or opting out of classes that required a little too much effort on my part and infringed on my sports or social commitments or dreams. I have to admit that academics was not a high priority in those days. But my high school guidance counselor, he was an advisor who was continually pushing me, wanting me to keep the big picture in view, not just living for the moment. I also remember an encounter we had with a one summer on one of those father-son fly-in fishing trips. I don't remember a lot of the details, but I do remember my dad mentioning, oh, he's a guide. We'd been dropped in on a remote lake, and this so-called guide took us on our first day for a tour of the lake, 
pointing out all the places where it was good fishing. He told us what bait to use. Then he watched us catch all kinds of fish. Before returning to the camp with the catch of the day, where he cleaned fish like I've never seen anyone clean fish before or since. Like I was sure that those fish were still breathing, those fillets, when they hit the frying pan. The knowledge and expertise of this weathered old bushman proved to be quite an advantage. As a result, we spent, of spending that first day with him, that fishing trip proved to be another successful fishing adventure. Here in John chapter 16, Jesus informed his disciples that the spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. Now there's an advantage in a hostile world. And how could it be otherwise? He is, after all, truth in his very nature. The essence of the spirit is truth. That's what he's made of. Guiding the eleven into all truth would be consistent with who he is. And notice it's not if, but will. He will guide you into all the truth. That almost sounds like a money-back guarantee to me. And the implication being, if they're not being guided into all truth, the problem is not with the spirit of truth. And finally, the spirit will not speak on his own initiative. He is a guide. He's not the originator or initiator of truth. In fact, in this passage, we are told that he will teach and remind them of the truth. In John chapter 14, verse 26, he will testify of Jesus, the truth incarnate. In John chapter 15, verse 26, and like Jesus, who in John chapter 4, John chapter 12, verse 49 explained, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. The Spirit, too, would be delivering the truth. He would be like a truth GPS, guiding them through the minefields of a hostile world, a world full of untruth, a world full of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, a world of lies and deception. Features of the advantage, the spirit of truth offered included timely teaching and good guidance. Look at the end of verse 13. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Did you catch the repetition in those verses? We'll disclose. We'll disclose. 
will disclose. The Greek word can also mean proclaim, announce, inform, or report. The spirit of truth is a reliable revealer. The Old Testament law is a revealer. It reveals the holiness of God and man's inability to live up to the standard of perfection that God requires for relationship with him. But the problem with the law is that it doesn't provide a solution to our problem. Sacrifice had to be made on a continual basis, and it did nothing, absolutely nothing, to change our hearts. The law just reveals the problem. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revealer of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, it begins with these words. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus' incarnation was the completed revelation of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 reads, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John chapter 1, verse 18 reads as follows. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him, made him known. Here's how the NIV translation reads. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. But Jesus was departing, remember? And as he was departing, he assured his disciples that he would send a helper, the Spirit of Truth, who was prepared to continue the revealing work that he had begun. Did you notice that phrase in verse 13? For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Does that sound at all familiar for those of you who have been here through our study of the Gospel of John? Listen to John chapter 12, verse 49. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what to say, and what to speak. And that's Jesus speaking. So like Jesus, the spirit of truth would be a reliable revealer. He will not speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose or explain what is to come. Immediately, the things that were going to happen immediately, for sure. Jesus' death, and all that that entailed. He would explain that to his disciples. But perhaps also eschatologically as well. The distance future. 
He will take of mine and disclose it to you, which, by the way, includes all things that belong to the Father, according to verse 15. Easter offered an advantage, an unbelievable advantage for these disciples. An advantage that included three distinct features. A timely teacher, a good guide, and a reliable revealer. Easter offers an advantage. Theologically, the Father makes the truth accessible. All the truth through the spirit of truth. It's interesting when the Apostle Paul was writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he writes,